0: Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, which is found on page 619 there in the Bibles underneath your chair. Again, we always like to remind folks that if you don't have a Bible, uh, that Bible under your chair is yours. So feel free to take that with you. But again, this is on page 619, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This is the word of our Lord.
1: Let's pray before we begin this morning. Lord, we thank you for. This place that we have to gather and meet, we pray that as we open your word this morning, as we spend time just thinking of who you are and what you've done for us, that your spirit would move in this place and that you would open our eyes uh, that you would uh, convict us where we need convicting and encourage us where we need encouraging and that most of all that we would just see you completely that we would uh, glorify you and uh, in this time and as we spend time in your word that you would just be glorified and we'd see you more fully we thank you for all you do for us and we pray it in Jesus precious name amen Uh, as we begin this morning I want you just to think about uh your own self identity. And what I mean by that is oftentimes in our culture, we like to say, uh, when we, when we meet someone or we're talking to someone, uh, a lot of times we say, what do you do? Or, uh, uh, that's, that's what guys usually say for, for whatever reason, well, what do you do? And, and we usually start and a lot of times it begins with uh, maybe vocation, your job, or, or somebody asks you what your hobby is or what your passion is. And, and I want you just to think about how you would answer that question, right? How you see yourself, you know, maybe it's as, as a parent or a, a spouse or a a teacher or a lawyer or doctor or whatever your job is or whatever you do. A lot of times that's kind of our first way that we see our identity. Now, hopefully, uh, as we gather together and and many here are professing to be Christians and we gather uh, under the name of Jesus, hopefully that would be a big part of your identity that you would see yourself identify with Jesus and what he's done for you. And we could we could use biblical language and say things like I was. I was dead and now I'm alive. I was I'm a sinner that's saved by grace. And we'd say things like that. And that would be true of who we are in Christ. And hopefully that is part of your identity. When you think about that, when, when we ask that question and, and I just posed that question, I want you to think what would come first to your mind or maybe when you've had those conversations, what does come first to your mind or what you've said in the past? And I want you just to think about that for a second. And then as this morning we're going to be in First Corinthians three and we're going to look at the passage that Chris just read for us and what we're going to see is that Paul says a pretty huge thing about who we are in Christ, who we are as Christians. And and it's important what he says and what he tells us. And it's important when we think about what our identity is and the way we I, we we self-identify ourselves because it really affects the way we see what we're to be doing and how we're to be moving and what we're to be about and all those things. And so I want you just to think about that because what Paul says is pretty huge here in 1 Corinthians three. And so before we look at those verses, there, uh, starting in verse 10 and looking at the rest of chapter three. If you haven't been with us, we've just been walking through uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. I'm going to give you the real, real quick just overview of, of where we are and how we got. Here and what's going on in First Corinthians. First Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he writes to tell them um, some things and correct some things. He hears that the church is struggling a little and they're 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 fighting and they're not getting along and they're they're following after different teachers. They're getting their identity from Paul. Or they're getting their identity from the guy that followed Paul to be the next kind of pastor in that church, Apollos. And some are saying, well, I follow Peter. And so they're they're fractioned and they're and they're not getting along. And so Paul is writing to address these things. And he's saying it shouldn't be this way. And he's telling them that they should be united in Christ and what Jesus has done. And if you were with us last week, we were walking through and we were looking at the idea of of a spiritual person versus what Paul calls a natural person. The spiritual person is a person who sees their identity and all those things in God and what he's done for them. They're being led by God's spirit. when we confess Christ as we get his Holy Spirit and he's leading us and moving. And when that happens, we become focused on God first instead of on ourselves first. And he makes that comparison. The natural man is the person who focuses on himself first. And it's all about me. And so the problem in Corinth is many of them have become Christians. They've confessed Christ. They have the Holy Spirit. But they're living like natural people. They're still focused on me. And that's why there's fighting and division. And so as we were ending last week, right in a, towards the end of our time last week, we talked about how, how Paul just says uh, he uses this analogy Of agriculture, of farming, basically. And what he says is, I planted, talking about starting this church, he says, I planted. And then Apollos, the guy that came after him, he says, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Right? God's using us in different ways, but it's all God's doing. It's all about God. And so he was using that analogy. And now this morning, as we begin in our time, he's going to switch to a different analogy. Paul does this a lot. He uses a lot of different things, and he hops from one to the next. And today he's going to switch to a building analogy, And he's going to talk about a building. And so this morning, as we begin, as we think about this, uh, if you want to follow along, we put an outline in there. Uh, Some people said that kind of helps them to stay focused and with us and where we're going. And so as I often do, there's three questions that go along with this building analogy. And as he's using this and that's that's page nine of your bulletin, if you want to follow along with that. And what is what I want us to ask with this analogy that Paul's getting at is, first of all, uh, what are we building? What is he talking about with this building? What is it? Secondly, how do we build it? And then lastly, how does it change the way we live when we get this? When we see this, how does it change the way we live? So what are we building? How do we build it? And then how does that change the way we live? So let's start with uh, what are we building? What Paul's talking about in this analogy, and I'm going to go back one verse to verse nine, kind of a bridge From where we were last week. So verse nine says, For we are God's fellow workers. We he's talking about Paul and Apollos in the context, they are the leaders in the church. And he says, You are God's field, God's building. And so when we start to think about, well, what is the building? What are we building? What are we talking about here? What Paul's saying is the people are the building. The people of the church are the building. He says, That's that's what we're talking about. God's you are God's building. And then, if you look down at verses 16 and 17, he kind of fleshes this out more and we see it a little more fully. If you'll read along there with me in verse 16 and 17, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And I want you to think about that for just a second. You know, I said at the beginning, I want you to think about how you self identify yourself The first thing that you say, and here we have Paul saying, well, big thing of who you are is you're God's temple. God's spirit lives, comes and lives inside of you. When you confess Christ and you put your faith in him, he now comes and lives in you and you are now God's temple. We oftentimes miss that, not purposely, but just the way we talk. A lot of times just say people will say to you, well, where do you go to church? If you ever get that question, and if you go to church here, you're a member here. You say, well, I'll go to Church of the Apostles. Oh, where is that? It's at 32 Grant Road. It's in Dawsonville. That's that's where my church is, right? Biblically speaking, that's completely wrong. And I'm going to tell you why, because what Paul is saying and what the Bible tells us over and over is the church is not a place. It's people. You're the church, right? That's what this is saying. God's spirit comes and dwell inside of you. And he says that uh, God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This place is not where we come, and now God's here waiting on us, and we show up, and then we meet God in this place. God is with you, in you, living through you, in His Spirit, wherever you go. And so we gather together, and we try to say that often, and maybe you haven't caught this, I've been saying it more recently, but we say often now that this is the gathering of the church of the apostles, because the church is the people, we're just gathering together to worship. It's a difference. And so we're, we're thankful that we have this beautiful building to come together and meet. But this building is not the church. In fact, if this building were not, not to exist tomorrow and something was to happen to wipe all this out, Church of the Apostles would still be here because it's you. It's people. It's not this building. And I want you to think about how huge this is that Paul's saying this. You know, think of the, the first century context he's writing to and they're used to the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Or even where Corinth, where they're writing, there's a temple. If you've ever seen pictures of ancient Corinth, I had the privilege of going there several years ago. There's a giant temple. It's a a pagan temple, but it's right in the middle of Corinth, and it's right there. And so here he is telling these people, no, 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 that's not the temple. You're the temple. And I want you to think about what the temple was in the Old Testament and all the history that goes with that. Because we may miss how part of how huge this is what Paul was saying. You know, God gives the plans for really the first temple and it's, it's a movable temple at the beginning, the tabernacle to Moses in Exodus. And he gives them this this uh, plans and he tells them how to do it. And he says, you're going to build this thing and you're going to do this and you're going to follow all of it. And from Exodus 25 to 40, it's all about this. He gives them the plans and then they build all of it and they do it. And at the end of that passage, at the very end of Exodus, what happens is they get it all done and they get it set up and they do everything just like God says. And then God's glory comes and fills the temple. Or the tabernacle as it is in Exodus. And what the tabernacle and what it was was an outer courtyard and then a little structure right in the middle. And then in the very back of it, there was a giant curtain that kept aside this one last little spot that was called the Holy of Holies. It was a little area. And that's where God would come and dwell. He'd come and fill that area. And no one was allowed to go in there. Once a year, the high priest would go in to make a sacrifice on the behalf of the people. And what God was showing through that temple is that we are sinful and we cannot be in his presence. And he showed them that by coming down and he said, this is the way that I'm going to be near you. That's what tabernacle means, dwelling place. I'm going to come and dwell near you and be close. And so what he did is that's, that's how he did it. And he comes and he shows them that. And they'd come every day to make sacrifices for their sins because they can't be near a holy God. And so they kept doing that and coming year after year for For over a thousand years, this is the way they came to God and you couldn't go in and actually see his presence. And if you did, you'd be struck dead immediately because of his holiness. And so that's the picture we have of the temple that you couldn't go in. But then we was uh, this week, I was at a conference uh, with some guys in the church and we went to the gospel coalition conference and the whole week was on the, the gospel of Luke. Wonderful time. Just walking right through Luke's gospel. And we got to the last day and there we were talking about the cross and what happens on the cross when Jesus goes to the cross. And in Luke, it says this in Luke chapter 23, verse 44. And it says it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And so what, what Luke is talking about is when Jesus is on the cross. And everything gets dark and it goes completely dark. And as Jesus is on the cross, Scripture tells us, Second Corinthians five, Him who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. So Jesus took our sins and he paid for them. And God poured out his wrath and his holiness, his perfect justice on Jesus. And he did that and he poured it all out and he emptied it. And then when it was finished, And it says until the ninth hour, it was dark while the sun's light failed. And then it says this in verse 45, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. So the holy of holies where where God's presence dwells that no one can go into. When Jesus dies on the cross, it is ripped in two and it is torn open. And what happens is, you know, right after that, it says Jesus called out with a loud voice, father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he said this, he breathed his last And so right, the last thing Jesus says, the the veil rips and it's done. The other gospels tell us that Jesus cried out. It is finished. And the veils ripped in two. And so what happens in the cross and what happens making the connection to what Paul's talking about in this switch from you going to the temple to meet God? Now God dwells in you is because of what Jesus has done for you. The temple is no longer a place that you go to. And you see it in veiled things and there it is and he's over there, but I can't go in. It is now you. Because of what Jesus has done for you. And so when we ask the question, what are we building when he's talking about this building and we're working and we're building what we're, what we're talking about is the church. And when we talk about what the church is, the church is you. And so the temple of God is you. You. He's now dwelling inside of you. It's not a place that you go to, but you are the temple. You see how huge that is. It's no longer we have to go make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to go see God and come close to him. He comes and lives inside of you through what Jesus has done for you. By faith, you've been saved and he he washes you of your sins. And now you can stand in his presence because of what Christ gives you. And so you are the temple. You're the building. And the building is the church. It's you. And so that's the first part I want us to think about. And I hope you you feel the weight of that. I hope you feel how that should change the way you identify yourself. You have the spirit of the living God of the universe inside of you. And we like to say, oh, well, I'm a teacher. Nothing wrong with being a teacher, but it kind of pales in comparison to the God of the universe living inside of you. And so when we think about the first thing, that's that's who we are. That's what the building is. That's what we're talking about in the building. Well, how do you build that? How do you do that? How do you build up the church? How do you do those things? And so I want you just to think about that for a second. How do we build that up? Look at verse 10, because Paul gives a warning here when we start to think about how this works, how we build the church, how how he's talking about building the church. And so verse 10, he says, uh, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. All right, so he gives this warning there. He says, Be careful how you build on the church, how you begin to do this and you see it grow and all those things. He says, Be careful. And so he gives us this kind of warning. Remember what he said right before this, just the context here, where we were last week. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Right. God is the one doing that. And so he says, be real careful how you say growth happens and how this gets built up. Right. And so Paul's just said, God gives the growth. So look at verses 18 to 22. Right. He's just said God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And then listen to what he says. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise and their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. It's all God's is what he's saying. And so what, what he's telling us is be careful how you think you build the church, how you think you you make this go right be careful not to put it on the wisdom of men and how smart you are and your great ideas and all the things that you think are the way you do it. You know, I think of it in terms of, you know, you go to different conferences. Thankfully, the one I went to this week was not that way, but I've heard guys talk before and you talk about church and what you should do and how to do it and all these things. And it becomes real quickly things like, well, you've got to have certain lights. You have to have certain music. And you need a coffee bar and you need to dress a certain way and you need to do these things. And you sit there and you go, what? Really? Because when I read this, it says, don't deceive yourself that you're so much smarter than you are and make it all about. Now, now, by the way, those things aren't wrong or bad. I'm not putting down those things. But if you think that's the way you're going to build up God's church is through those things, then we've got a problem. It's not that those things are all wrong, but if those become the center thing and you say, this is the way it goes then that's the problem. And so I want you just to, to think about that when we start to, to get into different things and the wisdom of men and it becomes real slick and it has to look this way or, or be this way or, or forget just even uh, uh, institutionally what we talk about the church, just things we're to do as a body gathered together. But remember, you're the church. And so when we think about how do we build the church, part of building the church is going out and making disciples. That's what Jesus told us to do. And, and by the way, that's your job. And that's my job. That's that's all of our jobs as, as believers to go do that. It's not something you give over to the church. That's the way we like to think of it. We'll get a program at the church and then the church will do that. You're the church. That doesn't work, right? You can't go, oh, the church will do that. Well, that's you, right? And that's me. That's all of us together. And so we can't just go, oh, just give it over to the church. So when we think about that, uh, just just even in our own lives when we share our faith and we go into... To, to have an opportunity to talk to somebody about who Jesus is and, and what he means and what he's doing in your life. And sometimes we can get so caught up in being really slick. I've got to have this great presentation. I've got to have all the answers. I need to read all these books and make sure I know how to answer every objection that ever comes up. And I've got to have right now. Now, it doesn't mean you shouldn't seek to do those things. We're to love God with all our mind. That's part of it. We are to be ready with the reason for the hope that is within us. But it doesn't mean that you're going to argue somebody into faith by having all the right answers. I want you to think about that for just a second. Uh, how many people in the history of the church have been argued into faith by a man? Zero. It's never happened. And the reason it's never happened is what Paul says, what we looked at last week. I planted Apollos water, God gave the growth. Right. We're called to be faithful and we're called to speak up and to say what we know and what God's done for us and to name the name of Jesus and what he's done. But God is the one that does the work. And so this should be a wonderful comfort to all of us when we think about the church and how it's built and how that goes and what it looks like. Right. So many times we can go, oh, maybe we were talking about this in the, in the van ride back from the conference this week. I think Mike and I were talking about this so many times you you share your faith and you're and you're talking. And then all of a sudden you go, you walk off and you go, oh, I should have said this or I should have said oh, I blew that. I didn't say it quite the way. I'm... Well, the good news is you're not the one that's going to do the work of bringing them to faith. You're called to be faithful and to do the best you can and to speak up and name the name of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't work. God does the work. Right. And that takes us to I was telling you what what it's not right. What it's not is our wisdom and our slickness and our presentation, and all those things. So what is it? It's right there in verse 11, right? The end of verse 10 says, take care how you build upon it. And then he says, for one can lay a found, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The way the church is going to be built is by making much of Jesus. It's going to be through God's spirit moving and revealing and showing who Christ is. That's the way it's going to be made. That's the way it's going to be built. That's the way the church is going to go out and how it's going to spread that we make Christ supreme in all things. We say that a lot here. We want to make much of Jesus. We want to make much of Jesus because that's how people come to faith. Right. You, you name the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes in and moves and does the work. And then that's what happens. And it's not me and it's not you. It's God's doing. But he just calls us to be faithful and to speak up and to name him and to say those things. You know, we were at this conference this week to be there for three days in Orlando with all these guys that I, I've looked up to for a lot of years. Guys that have been uh, following the Lord longer than I've been alive, I'm written a lot of books that I've read and classes that i've taken and listened to and there they are and they're, and they're each one of them's preaching their way through luke and so i had uh john piper was there and, and tim keller and d.a carson all these guys crawford loritz all these guys that i really look up to and you know what every single one of them said they all get up and they preach and then they go it's all jesus that was that was their uh answer to all of it make much of christ Hold God's word up and let it speak for itself and make much of Jesus and God will do the work. And here they are, these these brilliant guys. And you're like, oh, what's what's the method? What's the Jesus? That's the method. (laughs) You make much of Christ. And that's what they said over and over. And what a what a wonderful uh, encouragement that is to hear that. I listen to some of those guys like I listen to D.A. Carson and go. I can study for the next hundred years and I'm never going to be anywhere close to the brilliance of that guy. And he stands up and preaches and then he goes, it's all Jesus. Proclaim Jesus. And you go, oh, I can do that. I may not have it all together just like he has it, but I can do that. And so that's what you see over and over. And that's what we see Paul saying over and over. It's a complete and utter dependence on him and all things. And you're called to be faithful and you're called to name the name of Christ and what he's done and the way he's come. And and he saved us by what he does for us and not what we do. It's the heart of the gospel. The God of the universe came down and loved us so much and he does what we can't do for us. He takes our sins and he gives us his righteousness and we just have to put our faith in him. And we get it. And then he comes and lives inside of you. And so it should be a great comfort to us as we go out and we... We are called each and every one of us that is a believer is called to to share your faith. It's not something that you give over to somebody, uh, a professional or, oh, it's for D.A. Carson or these guys. There's a one. We'll let them talk because they were no, you're, you're to do it. You're all to do it. It's the church's job and you're the church. Right. And so that's all of us. And so when we talk about how do we build it and how do we do it, we make much of Christ. And his spirit will move and will begin to go out and people get saved. that's how they come to salvation. That's how they see it. And so I want you just to think as we close here for a second, a few things on how that should change how we live. If we really get that we're the temple, that God's spirit dwells inside of us, that we're the church, how should that change the way we live daily? I want you to look at verses 12 to 15 there, what he says. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire, and so we need to stop for just a second. What is he talking about here? He talks about on the day, for the day we'll disclose what kind of work we've done in our life. And what Paul's talking about is those things where we made much of Jesus, and moving through the Spirit, and we're we're proclaiming the name of Christ. Those things are going to survive. That's all that's going to survive. And all the other stuff and all the other things we're making about us are going to get burned up. That's that's the analogy, the, the picture he uses. And I have to say, just because we're here and it's in this text, and I'm going to be real careful when we say this. But uh, this text oftentimes is twisted and distorted to made to be a teaching on purgatory. You've heard that before. If You grew up in the Catholic Church. Uh, maybe you've heard that before, that only through testing and through fire and then you'll come out on the other side and. And and what the teaching is, is if you weren't quite good enough in your earthly life, then you go to purgatory and you go through some fires and some trials and then you get refined and then you go on to heaven. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not true. And that goes against what scripture says. And it belittles Jesus and the work that he accomplished on the cross. He saved you from every sin. And he says, you put your faith in me and I take all of it. And you are made righteous by what I do for you, not your works. This is not talking about purgatory. And by the way, this is the only passage in scripture that you can even begin to get purgatory in. It's just not there. It's not here in the context of of the way Paul's writing and what he's talking about. It just doesn't make any sense with all Paul's other writings and all the clear teachings of scripture on how you're saved. You're saved by faith alone in Jesus. And you don't add anything to that by your works. So you can't do some things to make up for it because it's all or nothing. It's either you're with Christ or you're not. And so that's not what it is. So what is it that he's talking about? He's talking about the the day when it will be revealed. You know, the scriptures talk a lot about the day of the Lord when Christ returns and all things will be revealed. We'll see the motives, our heart's motives, and all the things that we ever did. We'll stand before God and we'll know immediately. You know, I was thinking of a good example of this, and it's not perfect, but uh, my son Jed, who is five and a half years old, uh, probably about a year and a half ago. He's right around four years old. I remember walking into my bedroom, and as you walk in, to the left is a door, but you can't quite see into the bathroom. And so I walk in, the door opens, I walk in, and I hear, like fumbling around real fast and door slamming and stuff. And I walk in, I walk around the corner and Jed's standing there with his hands behind his back. And I say, uh, what were you doing, Jed? And he's like, oh, nothing, nothing, Ben, nothing. I say, uh, did you get into mama's makeup? And he goes, no, no, I didn't. Now, from my viewpoint, what I'm looking at, Jed has lipstick all over his face <laughs> and he's got, you know, blush and stuff. His whole face is covered. And I go, are you sure? You sure you didn't get into mama's? He's like, no, no. Then he gets real like, uh, you know, kind of goes on the offensive. No, I would never do it. You know, kind of like just really playing it up and, and you're standing there looking at him and go, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, Jed at the time was about this tall and that's about how high the, uh, the, uh, sink is there. And so there's a mirror up above it. And so I walked over and I picked up Jed and I set him on the counter. So he's staring at the mirror and I said, Jed, did you get mama's makeup? And he went,
0: oh, I'm so sorry, daddy. Oh.
1: Jed's my emotional child. And he cries and he, that's us on the day of the Lord, when we stand before him, all the things that we pretend to do in Jesus name, all the things that we act real righteous about, like, oh, I'm doing this, I'm trying to do this. So, you know, I want to I want to glorify God. And, and deep down, we're going people are going to pat me on the back because look, at, it's all going to be revealed. All of it is going to become real clear what you were doing, truly seeking to glorify God and what you weren't. And Paul said, that's what's going to happen. And what's going to happen is all the stuff that you were doing for other reasons and all the things you were doing to try to justify yourself before God versus pointing to him. And all those things are going to be burned up. They're just going to they're going to be revealed. And so what happens is, and I want you to think about this, just how this changes the way we live. One, all the times that you've been wronged by other people and you know it. And they say, no, 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 I didn't mean that. I didn't mean whatever it is. It's going to be revealed. That's the way we like to think of this verse, too. By the way, we go, oh, yeah, they're going to get it. It's going to be so obvious. I'm going to be able to say, well, the other side of that is you're going to be revealed, too. And so when we start to look at that and go, oh, they're going to. Well, so are you. So am I. So are all of us. And I want you to think about that for just a second, because really it's a wonderful, freeing thing to think about. You may say, wait a second. That's kind of horrifying to think about being revealed for all your stuff. And it's freeing on one side because you look and you go, I don't have to worry about if that guy's telling the truth or what his motives are, or what God knows. And so I don't have to worry about those things. Right. I can just let those go. But the other side of that is, yeah, he knows all my stuff and that can be really horrifying and I'll be revealed. But yet that's where the heart of the gospel comes in. Yet while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. He knows all your stuff. He knows every bit of it all the way down, all your motives, and yet he was willing to go and die for you anyway, and he loves you infinitely. He says, I've got you. And here's the crazy part. So so the first first reason I want you to think about that is just that that there's gonna be nothing left other than the good things that you were doing, really seeking to glorify God. So why waste your time on those things? Right? But but the other part of this, and, and I'm blown away when I, I really can't quite comprehend this, but look at verse 14. It says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation, the foundation being Jesus. So any work that's that's truly glorifying God and what he's done in Christ, he will receive a reward. I'm sorry, I just can't even fathom this, right? Every good thing that I've ever done or ever will do is by the grace of God, Jesus working in me. That's it. I don't have anything to offer on myself. Right. And so Jesus comes and he does all this for me and he gives me His spirit and he begins to change me and do these things in me. And anything that's ever good is his doing. And then I'm going to stand before him and he's going to reward me for the things that he was doing through me that he did. Grace upon grace. What? Reward me for what? For him working. And I go, I just can't fathom that. What's the Why? And the only thing I can think of is when I when I meditate on that and think about that is, is He's going to do that. It's going to be fuel for worship. That I'm just going to see anything good was all Him. And it's going to be so clear. It's going to make me want to just fall on my face and worship what He's done. It's all Him. And so the picture there is that yes, all our junk is just gonna be burned up in a way and all the good things, and then he's gonna turn around and heap rewards and you What? It's just gonna lead you to see him that much more fully and to praise him. And that takes us right to the end. Look at verses twenty one to twenty three and we'll end there this morning. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And so what you get to at the end here is that it's all his. Every bit of it, every lasting good thing comes through God, and it's all his. And so practically the question we're asking is, how should that change the way we live? I don't think it can be any more clear. You live this life for God's glory and nothing else, because nothing else is going to last nothing. And so we have just this breath of a time to go forth and to make much of Jesus and to walk by faith for just this little smidget of time. And then we get to stand before him. And so why would we not make every use of every moment we have to point to Jesus? Because it's all him. It's all his All good things. The wonderful thing is when you start to walk that and do that, you're going to be so much more fulfilled than anything else because that's what you were made for. What a wonderful picture. May that be the way that we go forth. And so I just have a real straightforward challenge for you this week. If you see that as your identity, you put your faith in Christ and he's it. Does it make any sense at all to walk through this week and not share your faith with someone? it, It doesn't make any sense at all. And so my challenge is just simply maybe that scares you to death. Well, the good news is it's not you that does it. Anyone coming to faith won't be you. It'll be God working. And so to prayerfully consider who you're going to share your faith with this week. Just start with one person. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your friend, whoever it is. I am so excited to think about what would happen if we walk out of here every week. And that's just what we do. Everywhere we go, it's all about Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus because that's the way God works and he begins to do things. And so what a wonderful challenge and picture. And if we really see our identities as the church, as God's spirit in us. It makes perfect sense. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that uh, everything that we have, all good gifts, all things come from you. And we pray that we would just see that that you would impress upon our hearts today the absolute centrality of you in our lives, that you hold all things together, that you bring all good. And so we just pray this morning that as we go out this week, that we would see that so clearly, that would be so evident in all things, and that we would just be overwhelmed with that fact, that we would want to share it with each and every person we come into contact with. We thank you for all you've done for us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.